Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now this week I'll be looking at the European Commission's plans for a digital tax. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times will explain what this might mean for Ireland's corporate tax base. And you'll also hear from the founders of Waterford-based VR Education Holdings, an Irish tech company that floated on the stock markets in London and Dublin this week, raising 6.7 million euros for its expansion. But first, it's time for our news wrap of the main stories of the week so far. And I'm joined in studio by Laura Slattery of the Irish Times. Laura, you're very welcome. I think we're going to start with a press-up. Press-up, yeah. Un- uh, happily, it's the... Uh, lead- happily, it's not going to involve any physical education. No, it's, it's, there's less uh, exercise and more li- lying back in your seat and enjoying and exercise a real and financial engineering, meal. perhaps. Um, yes, well, this is the Press-up Entertainment Group. Mm-hmm. So they own restaurants, bars, hotels and a couple of other uh, interesting venues yeah, around Dublin. let's go through Dublin. some of those. The Dean, what are we talking about? I the mean, Dean Hotel? It's, it's, the, it's an amazing list. And in fact, Captain America's restaurant. Yeah, I mean it's a real mix. Like the places they've bought into, such such as uh, you know Elephant Castle and and Wagamama. They have uh, Irish uh, restaurants of Wagamama. Um, Tower Records, that uh, beautiful uh, museum to the 20th century, is one of theirs in Dublin. Um, they have the Stella. Theatre <laughs> cinema. Ah, the old Stella in, in Rathmines. Uh, Everybody Rathmines. will remember that. Yeah. That old rat infested uh, uh, and cinema. The, the Much restaurants now. are all, you know, they all have quite, you know, uh, distinct uh, um, uh, reputations. Uh, Roberta's, Sophie's, Angelina's, um, you know, Wild Laura's, Burger, Laura's, you mentioned no? there. That's, that's sorry. What no Laura's? No Laura's just yet, but, uh, you know, I might have to, uh, I might have to investigate that. Um, there's Wow Burger, which, of course, they're trying to make into a chain. You know, yeah. they're a little bit in burgers, but they've got a little bit of barbecue. They've got a little bit of uh, Japanese noodle yeah. as well. And on and a serious note, it's a very successful group. Paddy McKillen Jr. is one of the driving forces behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they're in the news this week. I should just uh, back up is because um, they are expected, perhaps, they're investigating, certainly, the idea of a stock market flotation, which would be the, the first time since that kind of hospitality group uh, in Ireland would have floated since um, 
the Capital Bars business, uh, which is uh, back, you know, we're talking about the late 1990s when that happened. So it's Paddy McKillian Jr. is one of the the main the main person involved, and And they've hired good buddy stockbrokers to look at options. I mean, and that yes, that's Mm. why I really. So they might not go the IPO route, but it's one of the options. Yeah, I mean, I think what's driving it is, of course, you know, what always drives IPOs if they do happen is the need to. raise finance and uh, they obviously you know not content with an absolutely rapid rate of expansion you know you know they're, they're opening I think nine mm. units and venues uh, this year but the, you know that the, they are apparently also you know going around town making offers to other restaurateurs you know you know mm. to, to say well we like to look at your business uh, we'd like to and they have like a hotel coming on stream in Ranelagh that's the Devlin shortly. I think yeah and they, of course uh, a few months ago they uh, they bought the residence uh, used to be former private members club on Stevens Green and the restaurant attached to that and that's going to reopen under a new name and a, a whole brand new identity and they have done a very good job of creating you know different identities for their, for their different places I mean you know the average person uh, you know who goes out on you know Dublin on a Friday Saturday night would not know that you know the Workman's Club which is a very strong uh, reputation of being kind of an you know, indie music gig venue they would not immediately associate that with somewhere like the Dean uh, you know hotel or or, mm. or, or one of these other I suppose this is a, a signal of the recovering economy here. There's a real strength to the Dublin market again. People are out, they're spending, consumers are spending. Lots of tourists, we'll be talking about tourists later on, but lots of tourists coming yeah. to the city. Uh, there's a real vibe around the city at Yeah, the and I think actually one of their venues that really sums it up actually is 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 the Dollard and Company food market there on the Keys. And it's sort of slightly back from, you know, the central uh, thoroughfares of Dublin, shall we say. It's the f- further end of, of Temple Bar. Um how how could they possibly have opened that you know five years ago? I just don't think the economy here would have supported that. Now it's the early days, so maybe mm. <laughs> maybe it won't pan out. But it certainly you know it's got the food market element is sort of it's a little bit like you know Fan and Burns and the supermarket end, and then there's various places within it that you can eat, and it's you know capturing business uh, from all around town and from people who live. Um, either you know Smithfield and that kind of area. It's uh, you know this is a, a crowd that are selling um, gift cards. You know, to, uh, sure. uh, making a lot of cash that way as well. So this, this there's there's there is a lot of potential. Um, I suppose there was cautionary notices. You know, expansions that happen too fast or can can end in. Yes, yeah, so and we should say that ultimately it didn't turn out very well for Capital Bars. It didn't. Uh, but anyway, we won't, <laughs> we, we won't go back in history uh, that far. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the airlines that brings a lot of tourists to town and probably uh, delivers a lot of customers for a press up uh, in one way or another is Aer Lingus, and uh, the airline, uh, much loved uh, by many Irish people, is yes. uh, looking at changing its uniforms and you have some very strong opinions. I have lots of opinions. I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. It's great. And it's been 20 years uh, since the last redesign. So the current uniform is, in fact, the That's longest. 20 years? Yeah. I mean, I wonder, is, did recession put pay to, you know, an earlier redesign? Because it's the longest one that they've had. So Louise Kennedy uh, designed the current uh, teal uh, uniform and she's going to be doing the next one as well and so it won't be unveiled until next year so yeah I do have a view now You're um, not happy with the shade of green that's in the current uniform Well I originally well actually originally it was brown which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, not suggesting they go to brown but the first uh, cabin crew or presumably it was called air hostesses back then in 1945 was a kind of a brown shade designed by uh, Sybil Connolly but a few mm. years uh, later it became Probably a, reflective a, of the mood in Ireland yeah. to be fair at the time <laughs> Yeah drab brown but it became a kind of a, a 
green in 1948, but it's it's a bit more, should I say, it's deeper green. It's more of a kind of a forest green, I should say. And I, I think there's a lot they could benefit from slightly um, going that way. If you look sure. at Ryanair uh, redesigned um, a few years ago, uh, a young designer called Emma Colopy did, did their redesign, and they 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 changed from a, a kind of a, a slightly more kind of garish sort of Chelsea blue, I believe was the. <laughs> Was, nothing wrong with was, Chelsea Blue, Laura, let me tell you. I, I nothing realized, wrong with Chelsea Blue. I what as I was Barcelona will find out tonight. Um, I was realised what I was saying there as I said it, but that's officially what it was called. They went a bit more of a royal, deeper royal blue. So they toned it down, basically. Reiner toned itself down, and I'm not saying Aer Lingus might be driven by the same concerns, but it might be. Uh, and of course, the other big flashpoint, of course, with the interview, with the uniforms is whether or not, you know, should the Trousers. female Trousers. female cabin crew be required to wear uh, skirts as Where they are. Where do you are. stand on that, Laura? Uh, I think they should be given the option. Uh, the the uh, the Union United in the UK fought a two-year battle on behalf of, of some British Airways uh, female cabin crew who, um, and the the end result was they can apply to wear trousers and I think in this day and age that's the way forward and also you know they shouldn't have to wear heels if they don't want to either so that's my strong opinion a little bit of flexibility there's something we're wearing every day it's a, it's a responsible job there's a safety dimension to it um, and uh, a little bit you know they, they, they can't go too you know faddish with the fashion side because they obviously want this uniform to last into the future maybe not quite 20 years but um, but I don't think there's really any need for kind of the boxy kind of jackets as much sure. as there was in the past okay. as well so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that exercise Indeed and I mentioned that Aer Lingus obviously bringing a lot of tourists to Ireland and we've had some uh, new numbers on tour- the number of tourists coming to Ireland so overall uh, the trend is very good the numbers are up but uh, unfortunately it's a post-Brexit familiar tale down in terms of British, uh, the number of British yeah, visitors. Yeah, I mean, there were fourth quarter figures out today um, from the CSO, but they're kind of confirming what we already know, which is almost a 5% decline in visitor numbers from Britain last year. Mm. And it is because obviously the value of sterling has made holidays and short breaks here a bit more expensive. And, and Tourism Ireland has said today, look, this is a concern. Um, what they're going to try and do, obviously, they have the the buffer of a lot of you know good growth from North American visit visitors. visitors but North American visitors tend to spend more. They tend to yeah, be the best no, they're, spending they're tourists. Great, but I mean, spenders. I guess the, the Brit- you know we can't we can't really survive without the British holidaymakers as well. Um, so they're going to try and focus on what they what they've long you know for a long time they have called their culturally curious audience, so that the, these people are sort of sort of less uh, price sensitive, so less uh, impacted by currency fluctuations, and they like long walks and festivals and. And, um, uh, you know, the historic Ireland and there's lots of, uh, they're trying to, you know, when they're marketing, that's what they're going to try and, and chase. Um, but it's 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 not easy, you know, and it's especially outside is what they call the honey spots. The honey spots are uh, Dublin, Cork, Kerry, Clare and Galway. And that, that's official. <laughs> Apparently they get 80% of the visits. So it's everywhere else, really. That's really the, the, the issue. Mm, the Midlands in particular, yeah, I think it really yeah, struggles, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So especially at a time when prices don't seem as uh, economical, shall we say, to the British um, as they were did before. OK, thanks for that, Laura. I'm joined now in studio by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times to talk about digital taxation. Now, listeners, do not turn off your headsets. Uh, because this is going to be a really interesting segment, uh, Cliff. No pressure. Uh, no digital pressure taxation. Here, yeah. the, the, the European Commission has come out with some proposals. These have been in the offing for a while, but they're sure. coming out with some proposals about how they might tax uh, digital sales into the future. And sure. it might not be good for Ireland because Ireland obviously is a, a base for a lot of these uh, tech companies, uh, you know, Google, Facebook, Airbnb and yeah. so forth. So it could have serious implications for Ireland. And there is some level of discord, I, I think it's fair to say, at European level about what is being proposed. Take us through the measures. Yeah, sure. So 
people may recall that the OECD has been talking about reforming global tax, uh, global corporate tax for some years mm. now. And there have been some measures introduced, for example, in the area of country by country reporting, uh, and, you know, and some other and some other changes. And the OECD has been pushing forward in that process. In the last couple of years, the European Union has got a bit impatient. The European Commission in particular, pushed by France and Germany, particularly by France. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy, of course, about this issue. And the European Commission has started to study the taxation of digital companies. So with these two tracks going on, if you like, in parallel. Uh, and What's France's beef? France's beef is that uh, it's, I guess it has long looked uh, at the Irish tax regime as something to give us, that gives us an unfair advantage. Mm. So that's just Ireland now, to be fair. I mean, Luxembourg, True. Netherlands. Luxembourg, yeah, yeah. But I guess if you look at where the European headquarters of the big tech multinationals are based. Yeah, a lot of them are here. Uh, the bulk of them are here. So so we are, we're particularly in the crosshairs here. So that this kind of process of longer term reform, if you like, has been chuntering along now for a few years and we'll, and we'll continue to, to do so and the EU separately is looking at a, introducing some kind of common corporate tax base for Europe uh, and a project that's been going on for a few years as well. But the interesting and kind of an important thing that's happened in the last few months is that pushed by, uh, pushed by the Macron government in France in particular, the EU is saying, look, this long-term thing is all very well but we need to do something quickly. There are things in the activities of these companies that are not being caught by tax anywhere. Uh, they're paying far too little tax on their activities in Europe and we need to move. So su the suggestion now is that as a short-term measure, uh, that a tax be introduced on a lot of the sales of these digital companies around Europe, kind of like VAT. On a country-by-country country basis. On a country-by-country country basis. But it, it, the collection, if you like, would be would be pooled. The, the returns would be made, would be made in, in one step. The, the collection would be pooled and the tax would then be allocated across countries. So in uh, other words, if a digital company, let's say it's Facebook for argument's yeah. sake, and if they have a lot of uh, sales in Germany, yeah. um, it all gets pooled uh, at a central level, but then they decide, well, you know, 10% of the revenues actually came from Germany, 15% from France, 10% yeah. from Britain. And the... Uh, the, the taxes, presumably, on those uh, revenues go back to those countries. Yeah, presumably so. Now, we haven't seen the fine detail, and this is, I expect, one of the things that they'll be mm. arguing about How back does and it operate forward. at the minute? Well, most of the digital, say a digital company has its headquarters, its European headquarters in Ireland, and a lot of the sales will be managed from Ireland. So the profit on those sales is declared in Ireland, if you like. Uh, so Ireland gets gets some tax benefit from that. But typically, uh, typically the company, the, the global corporation, charges the European branch based here for, for the use of the intellectual property, the design, the development, the marketing of, of the products that it's selling around Europe. So that reduces very significantly the amount of profit that is, uh, that is taxed that is taxed here. And this really is where the controversy has emerged because these companies have ended up paying very little tax at all on, on, their, on the profits earned outside the U.S., goes back to the US tax system as well, which is now changing mm. as well. And of course, we had the Apple case in, involving Under Ireland, Davis, which yeah. showed that it paid very little tax on a lot of its activities yeah. uh, across Europe, yeah, Middle yeah. East and so on over a number of years. Now, the, the unusual thing, I guess, about this move by the European Commission, uh, which will be discussed by EU leaders at their summit next week, not decided on, but discussed and, and progressed, the European Commission hopes, is that it, the tax would be based on sales. So, so usually tax is based on corporate profits. 
but the commission is saying, look, as an interim measure, the easiest way to manage this is to tax the actual revenue, the actual sales. So, for example, take the example of a Facebook or a Google, which is uh, making money in part by uh, directing advertising at people who in common with their interests. So, you know, if I'm interested in holidays in Italy, then I get I get ads on 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 uh, on um holidays in Italy, if you're interested in buying football gear, you get ads about football gear or whatever. That's the way it works. And Google and Facebook are charging the, the manufacturers for, for, for that service and making a profit on it. Uh, so so one of the things that would be taxed under this proposal is that kind of intermediation, uh, that kind of intermediate or, or, or a simple way of going service. about it, actually. It, it would be a simple way of going about it. The the other uh, activity that, that is in the, the crosshairs, if you like, of this, of this measure is... Um, where the kind of activity undertaken by Airbnb, so where you put your house up and I book it for, uh, you know, for a week or, or a month or whatever, uh, and, and, and Airbnb is the, is the intermediary in that transaction, the is yeah. the platform. So, so that's the other area that they're looking at. So you're right, it would be an easy way to do it. It would also be an unusual way to do it. And I think the companies involved and possibly uh, the American government as well would argue that, look, this is discriminating against their big tech companies because it is American companies that would be caught by this. There would be a threshold. The company has to be a big company to be caught by this tax and have big revenues in Europe. We don't know the exact figures yet. Largely would be American companies, maybe Alibaba from China, but largely American companies are going to be caught by this uh, tax. And, and I think... I think we're going to see uh, an argument from from them and from uh, the US that you know this is discriminatory, discriminatory and unfair. Okay, and this is the same US administration that is putting tariffs on well, steel and aluminium. I was about to say, obviously, at a time when, cry uh, wolf about this. Okay. When, the, when there's tariffs being now, put, this is, this has a scope, I think, to ask to escalate the tensions across the yeah. Atlantic. Yeah, what France and what Germany wants in a European context, France and Germany tends to get. So, yeah. uh, is this going to happen? Uh, where does Pascal Dunahou stand on it? What are Ireland's chances of being able to stymie this in some yeah, way or yeah. shape it in a way that might be sure. beneficial for us? Well, we have a veto. It is a tax matter, so we, we do have a veto. We can't say no. Uh, I guess the interesting question for Ireland, and the government still has to show its hand on this one, is that there is clearly a big international move to get these companies to pay more tax. Uh, you know, We've seen from Apple and, and a lot of the other cases that the amount of tax they've paid has been frankly, ridiculously low. And, and and I think everyone agrees politically now that something has to be done about that. Uh, and Ireland is going to have to go some of the way down the down the line on that. Now, I think we will try and push it towards long-term reform. We'll try and push it towards the OECD process and hope that this will be gradually dealt with by kind of incremental change in the tax rules, which aren't, you know, hugely damaging to Ireland. But their pressure is going to come on mm. us in terms of this short-term measure to do something now. And, and the French government has been very insistent, you know, that something must happen soon, that this can't be allowed to continue, yeah. that there are things here that are escaping tax. But the problem is going to be more tax paid in France and Germany is going to mean less corporation tax well, finally, declared that, in Ireland. So it is going to cost us, it is going to cost us euros. And that begs ahead. the question then as to the future of foreign direct investment into Ireland, particularly by US multinationals. It does, yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to see, we're not going to see any massive moves as a result of this. But the worry is that it's going to affect the flow of investment in, in, in future years into Ireland. Uh, one of the platforms, one of the things we've used to attract, attract companies here is our tax regime. It has been advantageous for companies to, to, to locate here for tax reasons. And I guess the worry in the future is that that advantage may lessen or even disappear. There will still be other reasons to invest here. Educated population, English speaking, we know that 
spiel put out by the IDA, access to the European market, which will become even more important after Brexit. So we still have our selling points, but the tax selling point uh, may be less or, or, or may be gone entirely as a, combina- in a, as a combination of this and the US tax reforms yeah. as well. I'm sure Martin Shanahan would consider it to be a spiel, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we get your point. We get your point. All right, Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining us. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, uh, I'll be talking to David and Sandra Whelan, founders of VR Education, an Irish tech company that floated on the stock market this week. Back in a few moments. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Now, welcome back to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, on Monday, Waterford-based Immersive VR Education began trading on the London and Irish stock markets, raising 6.7 million euro for its expansion. And I'm joined in studio now by its founders, David and Sandra Whelan. You're very welcome, guys. Congratulations, uh, first of all. David, we might start with you. How long has this been in the in the offing, as it were? Um, well, the listing process has taken us seven or eight months, um, but we're, we've a very young company. We've only started really uh, business three years ago, so it's been a meteoric rise from, from where we started to where we are today. Yeah, sure. Okay. So tell us, I mean, VR stands for virtual uh, reality, I presume. Yeah. Um, so tell us uh, what the company does, what's the concept? So we're building an education and corporate training platform called Engage, where any educator can teach any subject to anybody else in a virtual environment. And why even teach class in the classroom? So if you're teaching marine biology, why not teach that on the seabed and have a whales from to the center of the class? So it's a lot more engaging. But the platform allows educators and corporate trainers to create their own content. So when you're inside virtual reality, there's a virtual version of you within the space. You can give a PowerPoint presentation, you could drop a dinosaur on the table, and you can interact with people in a natural way, and the platform will record everything that you do and say within the platform. So if you're a real good presenter, you can produce that content and then publish it on the platform and sell it for whatever you want. Right. It sounds ideally uh, suited to David Attenborough. Have, uh, you haven't thought of perhaps getting him on board as an ambassador? I can imagine him. Uh, interacting with the natural world in all sorts of wonderful ways? Well, he does. He he does a lot of work um, with the BBC and they do 360 video capture in virtual reality. He's done quite a bit of work. And um, we are actually working with the BBC at the moment as well on a, on a, on a contract that we're going to be delivering um, later on this year as well. But it's super secret and I can't say too much ah. else about it yet. Ah. <laughs> okay, you spoil sport. All right. Um, so where did the concept come from? What's your background? So my background, I was a web developer um, originally. I was a sole trader down in Waterford. And um, when I got to try my very first VR headset um, just about four years ago, I turned around to my wife, uh, Sandra, who's here, and I said, this is it, this is what I want to go into in the future. And uh, I tried to make my own virtual reality app, but I'm not a game developer. You need game development skills. So I went back to what I do best, which is creating websites. And I created a content review website for virtual reality, which got me in contact with all the leading players in the United States. And I pitched an idea to one of those guys that I want to build an Apollo 11 experience. And I actually started a business with a, a thousand euro loan from my sister because I was, I was pretty broke um, at that stage. 
and that allowed me to get some assets for Apollo 11, which we then put on Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunding campaign and really kicked off from there. And today is actually the anniversary of when that Kickstarter campaign was successful, which was three years ago today. So as I said, it's like literally from myself and Sandra in the business three years ago to 22 staff now. Um, it's, it's It's been a crazy, crazy journey. Yeah, sure. And were you working for yourself at the time or were you working, um, did you chuck in a job effectively to start this business? I was working for myself um, as a sole trader and the recession definitely hit us very, very hard in Waterford. Normally you're only building websites for people when um, they start new businesses and I know how to create software. So I, I have created a CRM systems for the likes of Adrian Insurance. So it's um, I do know the software development process, but the recession in Waterford did hit deep. Yeah, sure. Sandra, tell us about your involvement in the company. How did you come to it? What are your skills? What's your background? Um, My background is actually in logistics. So I worked in logistics for six years. So I think from that point of view, I've got a fairly clinical mind. So David is more of the visionary of the company and the stuff that he has in his head is fantastic. But I tend to focus more on the business aspect, looking after the team, looking at finance. All You're that the chief sort of operating thing. officer. So I'm the chief operating officer of the company, yeah. Okay, so you cracked the whip. Exactly. Right. And I have to ask you, as a husband and wife team working together, can't be easy, guys, come on. Can't be Do easy. Do you know what? It's actually not too bad because as David mentioned before, like he was working as, um, as a web designer, but David didn't have an office. Like he was a sole trader working at home. So he used to have an office at home. So when I come in from work in the evening time, I was there and I used to give him a hand and do all like the accounting bits and do all the invoicing and stuff for him. So we had sort of always kind of worked together anyway and we do rub along quite well. Mm. So um, when we took it from the home and then put it into an office, it was just like a normal, you know, translation from one to the other. So yeah, we're we're not filing divorce papers just yet. um, (laughs) Well, I think it it is fairly useful as well. Um, Like me being CEO, um, I might have a certain idea of certain things that we should be doing. Where Sandra is kind of a level head where I could, I have to listen to Sandra, not just because she's my wife, but obviously because she's CEO. And she can say, look, Dave, I don't think you're actually thinking this through. And she made me sit backwards. I'm very quick to like make a judgment in a lot of cases where Sandra would make sure that, OK, really sit back and think about what you're doing. And then normally I'd probably go with the decision I was going anyway. But she definitely makes me take stock of what we're doing. Yeah, and I think as well, going through the process as a husband and wife team, as David said, it has taken an awful long time for it. And it is a very, very intense, hard, laborious process. But obviously the the end goal is what you're what you're aiming for, which is where we are, which is fantastic. But if if David was doing this by himself or and going home to somebody at the end of the day, or if I was doing it by myself and going home to somebody at the end of the day, I think the fact that the two of us were doing it together and we understood the pressure and we understood everything that was going on has really, really helped the process. Yeah. David, tell us a little bit about your customer base. You mentioned the BBC, but who are you selling your product to? So we're we're very well known for some of our showcase experiences. Um, we've built the Apollo 11 experience where you become Neil Armstrong, you get to go to the moon. That's been sold globally. It's one of the top selling pieces of VR content globally, and it, we've won multiple awards. And um, that's people at home um, purchasing it as a one-off um, um, piece of software. We've built that. So they can they put on the glasses they themselves, they can walk around their home and it's like being on the moon. Is that how it works? Exactly. They're sitting on top of a Saturn V rocket. Um, so how much, if I want to do that, I'm sitting at home, let's say I've got the right kit, how much does it cost me to actually experience that, to plug into your Apollo 11? It's $9.69 uh, and um, we've sold over 100,000 copies of that. It's made us over a million in revenue to date. Um, this year we're releasing Titanic where you get to dive on the shipwreck of the Titanic in your own submarine and you also get to witness 
the sinking from the point of view of Survivor on Lifeboat 6. But then on our platform then, um, we're working with New Haven University, uh, Oxford University. I think I fancy Apollo 11. I'm not sure about the Titanic experience. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't thrill me, I have to say. <laughs> well, it doesn't thrill me either now in terms of the underwater section of it. But the beauty of it is I have a thing about I don't like being underwater. I don't like fish. I don't like unpredictable animals, you know, things that can jump at you. So there's two parts of yeah, Titanic. pretty much rules out any animal, yeah. uh, unless they're sedated, Sandra. <laughs> But I like I like the Titanic in that you've got the underwater part, which is for people that would love to explore the shipwreck. But then we also have an overwater part, which is a cinematic experience, which is what I actually love. So it caters to two different markets. So you've got the people that love all the underwater and the more game people. And then you've also got people like me who love to kind of sit back and have a real cinematic experience. So overall, I think it works well with the two markets. Okay. David, I mean, clearly a lot of people have these VR glasses and they have whatever kit is necessary. Well, tell us what kit is necessary and how much it costs to actually gear yourself up to be able to enjoy these apps. Yeah, so there's high-end VR and then there's low-end VR, so there's two types. Um, high-end VR is uh, virtual reality software that's run through a computer. So you're looking at a $400 headset and then the computer to run it is $1,000. Now, that has been a big barrier to VR to date because you're looking at like a $1,500, $1,400 expense. It's a lot of money for somebody to chance virtual reality. And then even on the lower end, um, there's mobile virtual reality where you put your mobile phone in this holder and you have a VR experience. It's an okay experience, but it's not fantastic. And if you wanted uh, somewhere in between, you're looking at a Samsung phone and a Gear, a Gear VR headset. But the Samsung phone is $600 and then the, the, the mm. holder is another $100. So it's still quite expensive. So who are the customers? Are the gamers... Predominantly? Um, well, general public, really. So a lot of people, when they've bought the technology, like the $1,500 headset, um, they want to show off that technology. They have parents which which would have remembered, say, Apollo 11, the moon landing back in the day, and they want to show them something where they're not shooting at zombies. And Apollo 11 mm. is one of those pieces of content that really appeals. Okay, well, With, Apollo 11 was 50 years ago. Let's do a little bit of maths there. Yeah. Uh, so you'd have somebody who's, you know, uh, maybe uh, 60s, 70s mm-hmm. onwards. Are they, are they buying VR glasses and buying expensive computers? No, they're not, but their sons and daughters are, and they want to show the technology um, to those people, both in the... The platform um, with Engage, it's the educators themselves are creating content mm. with it and then they're showing their students. An example is uh, the Royal College of Surgeons. Um, we completed a, a short VR application and they've given it to their students and it was a chest drain insertion for a road traffic accident. You witness the accident and then you're in the operating theatre and you have to save the patient. Now, normally they give somebody a multiple choice questionnaire and they fill out the answers A, B and C. Whereas in our simulation, as they make right right and wrong decisions, they're either killing the patient or saving the patient. Okay. They get instant feedback and then the assessor is getting all that data straight away. Right. What about, uh, is it applicable to the airline industry? I mean, they obviously buy some very expensive kit simulators where pilots go and learn how to fly and so on. Is this something that could be applied there? Yeah, it can be applied there. But with those simulators, they have these motion platforms and they mm. cost like many hundreds of thousands of dollars. And But you, what you want is you want a tactile feedback. So you could have a VR headset, but you'd need all the switches and dials. What we're really looking at is the corporate training um, space, the stay-at-home distance learners. So you might have betterment programs like um, uh, marketing programs or how to um, give public speaking, as an example. We have a virtual reality boardroom where you can stand you're doing your PowerPoint presentation inside and there's six virtual people from all over the world sitting inside and then they're trained to, somebody might answer their phone or the PowerPoint might go off and our platform is recording everything you do and say. So at the end of it, then the assessor can get that and say, okay, your focus should have been here or when the PowerPoint um, went off, you should have done this. Yeah. Yeah. Sandra, why IPO? 
really because we want to attract a lot of talent to the company. I mean, we could have stayed as a private company and we did have the option there to take private money. But really, we want to get our name out there. We want to be known. I mean, look at all the coverage that we're getting. We want to attract people to the company. And also, you know, we are in a very kind of a, a hot, buzzy space at the moment. And I'm sure there will be other companies that will come along. Um, it's great to have the liquidity there and have the have the option to raise more money quickly should we need it if we wanted to go down an acquisition route or something mm. like that. So primarily just access to the funds quickly and also we want to attract great talent to the company. And tell us how you're going to use the, I think it was 6 million sterling, which is about 6.7 6 million, million euro. Yeah, that's it. Um, we have opened an office over in um, Hammersmith. So we are going to be um, getting our business developers and our sales team set up over there. We are also going to be hiring programmers, animators, modelers, um, trying to double our team in the Waterford office as well. And just putting as much as we can into the Engage platform just to make sure that it's ready to do what we need it to do in the future. Yeah, David, is it hard to attract talent? To Waterford, you know, we talk about the social media cluster in Dublin and Mm -hmm. so on. And we're told by those techie companies that, you know, young people coming from abroad, really Dublin is a big draw for them. They like to live in a city centre and all that kind of stuff. Is it difficult to attract talents down to Waterford? It's been quite easy for us. Um, Waterford really is um, a tech hub space at the moment. There's 100 tech companies in Waterford. Um, But what we've been doing, we've been very visible in the space. So we've won multiple awards for uh, Titanic, or sorry, for Apollo 11. Uh, We've even won a Time Warner Award. And what has happened is uh, developers have looked at that and said, geez, these guys are doing some fantastic stuff. What are you working on next? And we say, look, we have the Engage platform and Titanic. And developers really want a lot of recognition. And they recognize that coming working with us, they get to work on some of these top tier projects. So it's been very useful um, to recruit. Right. So tell us about VR. Is is that the next big thing in in terms of technology? Yeah, well, I believe um, so. Ten years ago, the world was a completely different place before the, the smartphone. I believe when people look back in the next three or five years' time, they look back and go, do you remember the world before virtual reality and how different it was? I think people will be um, going to meetings inside virtual reality. They won't be traveling as much. There will be people working in virtual reality and augmented reality. It's going to open up a whole new field of um, employment for people as well. So if you look at the the smartphone space, like you have dedicated people who make um, apps. You know, if you told me even five years ago, I'd be watching most of my and TV content through my mobile phone, I would have said you were crazy. And now with the advent of 5G, where you're getting uh, 13 gigabytes a second download speeds, that's very relevant to the VR space as well, where we can stream in these uh, physical uh, objects on the fly into a virtual space. And all these headsets um, that are becoming available, VR and AR technology is going to be free. You're going to have it as a service where you're going to go into a shop and say it's Vodafone, you'll pick and choose the hardware that you want to use and it'll be given to you as a service. Right, okay. Uh, Sandra, just tell us maybe sort of five to ten years out, project five to ten years out, um, where do you see the company going? How big will it be? Will you guys still be in control or will you have moved on to something else? Well, I'd like to think, no, I'd like to think in five to ten years that we would still be, <laughs> that we would still be very much in control. I just see, I mean, at the moment we're in Ireland, like I said, with this we have um, moved to an office in the UK. I'd like to see us with an office in the US. I'd like to see us with an office in Asia. So I would actually like to see us with a company that's global. David, how are the shares doing? Um, we're up uh, 25% in the first two days and it has been a steady rise. It hasn't been like a huge jump and up and down. It's been very incremental rises. Um, our brokers are saying, geez, even if you guys were like 10 or 15% up after the first week, that's really good. Like I said, there's an exceptional um, demand for what you guys are doing. Yeah. Paper millionaires? Yes. yes. <laughs> At the moment, yes. Well, it must be exciting. Uh, well, very exciting. As I said, um, I we were flat broke three, four years ago. Um, I do remember when uh, 
there was one particular morning where we had to get three euros from one bank and two euros from another bank, bank to get five, five euros, euros into, into the, the car, car for petrol to get the kids to school. Yeah, it. Yeah. And yet today, I think we've a market cap of 24 million. 24 million and we own 40%. So. Well, that's some journey. Well, listen, guys, we wish you the best of luck. Thank Congratulations. you very much. Thanks, I, Continued success, as they say. Um, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Cliff Taylor, David and Sandra Whelan. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed daily on Twitter and Facebook. And Kieran Hancock, until next time. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.